Open up to Acts chapter 27. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the last two chapters of Acts. We've been taking this journey for the last several months. And, and while we look at these last two chapters, let me just say this by way of introduction, okay? These, these last two chapters of Acts are basically, hold on, let me just pause for a second, okay? I just gotta acknowledge something. Some of you notice, like, I don't have a beard anymore. Some of you are like, what are you? Guys, this is a big deal, okay? I have not shaved my chin since my senior year in high school. And all I can say is that peer pressure is real and my connection group got a little out of control on Wednesday night on our Zoom call, okay? And so the people started shaving off their beards and here you go. My wife has never even seen my face in the like 12 years that I've known her. And now that I did it, she looks at me and she's like, oh, okay, that was fun. When's it going to grow back? I don't even know what to think about that, okay? So you can pray for my, my facial hair. I, I feel really insecure up here. But anyway, back on track, Acts chapter... 27, there we go. The last two chapters of Acts are, are devoted mainly to Paul's journey to Rome. All right, and as we've been watching the Apostle Paul's life the last several months, as he's been journeying, okay, there's, there's been something that stood out to me, okay? And it's really this, it's, maybe you've had this thought of like, wouldn't Paul's life just be like a great movie? I mean, I know that they've made movies about Paul, but like, I just am taken back by the way that he lives. We, we all want a story like Paul's. Right? And maybe you hear that and you're saying, I don't know if I want the suffering like Paul, but we want a story of, of significance like Paul had. We want our lives to, to count. And as we've been watching Paul, guys, here's what I've noticed about him. All right, he's just a man with just a, an unwavering trust in God. All right, in every situation of his life, as we've been watching this, the, the good and the bad, that Paul had this trust in God. That when God spoke to him, you know, Paul just said, okay, anything, anytime, anywhere, that he just had his yes on the table. And really, this is how the Christian life should look, Doxa. That as we talk about so often about how we exist for the glory of God and the, the good of our, our city, guys, I want you to know that this only happens when God's people truly know him, truly trust him, and really say yes to him with our lives. And, and this can be like really motivational and kind of like spiritual and you say, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the question is, guys, is like, how? Like, how does someone have that amount of trust in God? Like, how does someone have the courage to say yes, like Paul did? Have you, have you thought about that as you've been watching Paul? Like if, like if God broke into your life right now and he kind of asked you to do something like he did for Paul, what would you say? Like, what would you do in this moment? And I, and I just want you to know, like, Paul is not like a, a superhuman. He's not even like a, a super Christian. There's no such thing as that, okay? But he was just a faithful man who trusted God. And because of that, he was able to say yes to God with his life. And God used him in significant ways to change the world. And chances are, guys, as we talk about this idea, you've, you've met people like this that have like a very similar posture to Paul, that you look at their lives and you look at their faith and you think like, how? How are they like so radical in their obedience? Like how do they have that amount of courage to like step out and live their lives like that? Like how do they have that? I mean, for example, a, a few months ago, if you remember back, we, we sent out our first missionary, overseas missionary, Mitchell Carlson. Right? And, and Mitchell is just like a, an ordinary guy, a, a godly guy who came here to help us start and plant this church. And just going to grad school, God broke in and said, I want you to leave America, go across the world, and I want you to share the gospel with people that I love that don't know me. And Mitchell, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of like some fear, like, okay, just said, yes. He followed God into the unknown. Some of you, this is your story. That as we planted this church a year and a half ago, 
you heard that there was a church that's gonna be started in Madison, Wisconsin, and they, they were calling for people to come help them do that. And God broke in and said, go. And even in the midst of fear of like, where am I gonna live? How am I gonna get a job? Are there gonna be any people there? Like friends, like all this stuff, you, you stepped in and you said, I trust you, God. Yes, and you went just like Paul. Others of you, I mean, I hear stories like this. I see it all around our city. You're asking God, God's asking you to, to help people in our city, people that are living in poverty, people that are suffering and they're homeless. And you sense God saying, go and help. Buy them groceries, buy them a car, give them a place to stay. Help. And you said yes. And maybe you're hearing these stories, guys, and, and you hear that and think, man, that is just crazy. Like, it's just crazy, I, I, but I want you to hear this. Because the Apostle Paul, Mitchell Carlson, these people that I'm referencing in these stories, they're not crazy. They aren't even radical. You know what they are? They're Christians. And as they live for the glory of God and the good of others, they've come to realize that the proper posture of someone who is following Jesus is one of trusting him and just saying yes when he speaks. And guys, this is not radical. This is just following Jesus. But again, the question, like how does a person land there? And for me, as I've been asking this question as we studied Acts, like it really hit me this week. It's not just this, these two chapters here, but it was as I watched, have been watching one of my friends like slowly die. I'm gonna show you a video here in, in just a minute of a guy named John Draghi. He's been a pastor for decades. He's one of the first pastors, one of the first godly men that I ever be, met after I became a Christian my senior year in high school. But his life, as I've watched him love God and love people, he's just like the real deal, has shaped me in many ways into the man that I am today. But this last year, John was diagnosed with, with brain cancer and he's been fighting this and, and along the way he's been trusting God to get through it. But the cancer has quite honestly just been winning. But here's what I've seen. John exhibits this kind of trust and faith that we see here with Paul. And this video that you're just gonna watch here in just a minute is him just barely being able to talk. But in the midst of this, he's, he's still trusting, he's still praising, he's still thanking God, and he's using his last breaths to quote scripture. Take a look at this, this video. Well, we wanted to share a video with you. We usually share a video of the fun times in the yard or when John's feeling good. Um, so we wanted to share a video of not the good times, of the real. And that was real too, just a different part of real. Um, so John is, is sleeping about 23 hours a day. He wakes up briefly. Um, he doesn't talk much except just to answer our questions. Um, he's not been eating for a few days, just a little bit. Um, and he's not been drinking much either, a little bit. He's on a lot of medicine to help with the pain and nausea and dizziness and all kinds of things. Um, so just wanted to share that with you. He wanted to share a verse with you. All right, here's the verse. The Lord God gives no, does, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk, walk, walk uprightly. And, you know, we just believe that he takes care of us. Yeah. He's our faithful one. He's our lover. He's 
is the perfect commandeer of our soul, and we worship him. Yes. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Oh, God, you're so good. We love you. Bless our evening. Bless our whole rest of the day that we might rest in you. Because you're our king. You're our benevolent lover, our everything. Oh, God, we just adore you. Give us the best we need today. Amen. Thanks, honey. Thanks, friends. Because how does a how does a person live like that? I mean, how does a how does a person die like that? How does a person trust God like that? This is what I want to explore as we watch Paul in Acts 27 and 28 today. But here, if you have it in front of you, Acts 27 begins like this. Paul is, is under arrest. He's just appealed to Caesar as he's defending himself and, the, himself and the claims that are coming at him. And he's on his way to Rome as a prisoner. And verse 1 says this. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some of the other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. So this is one of those times, the, the we statements in Acts, that, that Luke is traveling with Paul, and, and Luke gives us like a great deal of detail about this journey to Rome, that really all of chapter 27 and half of chapter 28 is, is about the detail of, of them traveling to Rome. And as we watch this journey, guys, we're gonna live, learn so much about how Paul trusted God, like why he trusted God and how he said yes with his life. All right, but the way that I wanna do this, I just wanna show you this journey, okay? I'm not gonna read this entire thing to you, but I, I wanna show you kind of like what's, what's happening over here, okay? But take a look at this map, all right? As you, as you watch this, they start off down here near Jerusalem. All right, they're, they're here, they're going up the, the coast and, and it says in verse three that they, they go up the coast and they land in Sidon. All right, and, and it's, at this point they're, they're putting out from there but we're told that they can't make way and they have to come into the Lee of Crete. And so from Sidon, that means the Lee of Crete means that they're basically just going up and around like this. All right, and they're, or the Lee of Cyprus, I'm sorry. And then they're doing this to, as verse four says, as they're being protected by the winds. And then all of a sudden it says that they sail across an open sea in verse five tells us that they land in a place called Myra. And so they go across the open sea, they land over here, this is about where Myra is, and, and they're there. Okay, and so they're, they're sitting there and then all of a sudden they, they start making like slow headway for many days and they have difficulty arriving, it says, at the point of Sindus. And so they're having like a really hard time, they're going over here and right around here is like the point of, of Sindus. And then we're told that since the winds are, are so great, and against them that they have to travel and come into the Lee of Crete. Okay, so they're traveling down here to escape these winds and they kind of come across the, the Lee of Crete right there. And verse eight says that they're sailing with great difficulty along the coast and finally they come to a place called Fairhaven. So they arrive right over here, this is kind of Fairhaven. And so it's been this difficult journey so far as they've had to divert like a, a few different times 
And it's just been very dangerous. Verse nine says that it's become dangerous to sail because it was, a day after, it was the days after the day of atonement. So we're talking about after the day of Yom Kippur. So we're, we're looking in the October area, the winter months. And Paul warns them that because of the winter months being so hard to travel on the Mediterranean, verse 10, that this is gonna be disastrous. And he says, basically, let's not do it. But if you look back at, at verses 11 and 12, they decide to go anyway. And verse 13 says that a gentle wind begins to, to blow as they're sailing, favorable conditions, but it quickly turns into a wind of, of hurricane force. Look at verse 14, it's called the Northeaster. So this is a wind that was on the Mediterranean Sea that would just be like hurricane force winds. And it swept down across the island and the ship was, if you look, it driven out to sea. All right, and so they're driven out to sea and out here, is where Luke gives us a lot of details about this terrible storm that they're in. That he tells us of the, the winds, how people thought that they were gonna die. They're throwing things overboard. They're, they're actually sending ropes underneath the ship to basically tie it together to keep it from falling apart. And they don't have stars to navigate by. They don't have the sun. In verse 20, if you look, it says that they gave up hope of being saved. But then verse 21 happens. And Paul, if you look, he stands up among them as everybody is losing hope, they're thinking they're gonna die. He stands up and says, hey, you didn't listen to me the first time. You should definitely listen to me this time. And he tells them, an angel of God appeared to him and said, don't be afraid that I'm gonna get you to Rome. And not only am I gonna get you to Rome, but I'm gonna get everybody who's traveling with you and not a single hair on anybody's head will be harmed. And so Paul reassures the people of the ship. He says that God said he promised that he's gonna get us there and I believe him. And so these people, they, they take heart, they hear Paul, they keep traveling. If you look back, they, they're in this open sea and they're traveling across the open sea and they start to get to this place um, over here called Malta, okay? And so Malta, that starts to get a little bit shallower over here and they're driven all the way there and they finally, they get shipwrecked. And if we go to verse 42, it shows us that as they shipwreck near Malta, that the soldiers come up with a plan and they're saying, we're gonna kill all the prisoners so we don't get in trouble if they escape. But the, the centurion who seems to like Paul basically says, no, no, we're not gonna do that. Everybody just jump overboard, swim the shore. Verse 44 says that everyone gets to land. All right, and as soon as they get to, to shore on Malta, verse three of chapter 28 says, uh, says that they meet some natives right away on, on Malta. And these, these people are, are kind to them. And so Paul is making a fire likely because it's cold out and he's ser still serving. And he's making a fire, and as he's making a fire, he picks up the wood and he gets bit by a viper, okay? And at this point, you're like looking at Paul's life of what we've, he's like, seriously? He gets bit by a snake at this? Like, what else could go wrong with this guy's life? All right, but in the midst of this, God shows up. His hand doesn't swell up. He doesn't die as people were waiting for him to do. If you look at verse six, and he ends up being fine, and he begins to heal many people in Malta, and from there, basically, from Malta, it takes us all the way up to their journey in Rome, which we'll get into next week. Now, here's the reason I think that Luke gives us so many details of, of the difficulty of, of Paul's journey. All right, I think he does this to give us some encouragement as to who God is. And who God is really just allowed Paul to trust him and to have courage and to say yes to God throughout his life, empowering him to live for the glory of God and the good of others, even in the face of difficulties, even in the face of death. And so again, as we consider this back to our question, how does a person live with that degree of trust? I wanna give you three things that Paul knew as we look at this text, three things that Paul knew 
that empowered him to live for God, to trust God, and to say yes to God. And the first thing is this. Paul knew that God was with him. All right, look back to chapter 27, verse 23. Paul says, in the midst of this, this storm, he, he stands up and he says, for this very night there stood before me an angel of the God whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid. So guys, in the midst of this storm, in the midst of all the fear and the uncertainty, an angel appears to Paul and, and basically what he does is he reassures him of God's presence. And while this must have been like, no doubt, like a powerful moment for Paul, this was not the first time that Paul experienced this type of assurance of God's presence in his life. I mean, if you think back, Acts 18, 9, when Paul was in Corinth, Jesus came to him in a vision and said, do not be afraid for I am with you. In chapter 23, while in Caesarea, Jesus actually stood with Paul and he says, take courage. Later on in 2 Timothy 4, Jesus again is standing with Paul. And so for Paul, he knew that God was with him and this led him to trust unswervingly. And even more as we think about this, okay, the Lord Jesus, when he was about to leave his disciples and ascend into heaven after the resurrection, he said to his disciples in Matthew 28, 20, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And, and Doxa, I just wanna submit to you that this is the same for us, that this is the same for you that I really believe that as we come to the Bible and, and God speaks to us through the Bible, that's why we gather around the Bible and hear from God because the Bible is inspired by God and he speaks to us through the pages of the Bible and he's speaking to us today and I think he wants you to be reminded that as you navigate the everyday stuff of life, God is saying to you right now, even as you sit on your couch, surely I am with you always. He's with us. And guys, this is just a great encouragement for us to hear, but, but let's get a little bit practical, right? Like how do we become aware of God's presence in our lives? Because I, I really do think it's, it's probably more rare to hear like an audible voice or just like have just like this miraculous appearance of an angel as here with Paul. But, but rather God today tends to, to speak and, and give us this assurance of his presence through the still gentle assurance of the Holy Spirit and through God's holy word. C.S. Lewis, he put it like this, listen to this. He says, God walks everywhere incognito. And the incognito is not always hard to penetrate. The real labor is to remember, to attend. In fact, to come awake, still more to remain awake. All right, Lewis is, is saying that God is with us. We just need to labor to remember this, that God actually is, is never away from us. He's never far from us, but our memory oftentimes fails us. And it's God's word to us in the Bible that reminds us of all this that is true and all of God's promises. That's why we seek to be a Bible-saturated church because our minds so quickly forget about who God is and what that means for our lives. But we can know through God's word and God's promises and God's truth that he's with us. And we know when we know like Paul that God is with us, we will display just amazing courage amazing trust, amazing faith, even in the worst of storms that life can throw at us. And just as important, guys, I want you to hear this. When we know, like Paul, that God is with us, this can also help us to sustain others, just as Paul did as he comforted the people on the ship that were like freaking out and thinking they were gonna die. I mean, if you go back to my, my friend John, 
I showed you that video because honestly, this is what I've been experiencing as I've been watching the videos that his wife Amy has been posting. As I've been watching his trust and his faith and his love for God, even as he's dying, his faith and his trust has caused me to rise. It's caused me to to rise and have trust in God, even when I feel distant, even when I feel down, even when I feel discouraged and weak, that God's presence through John has been a tremendous help to my soul. And guys, this is one of the reasons that Paul trusted God. He knew that he was with him every step of the way. And this is what led him to say yes with his life. And so let me just ask you this. Do you know that God is with you? Do you know that God is with you? And maybe you're sitting there like, yeah, I know, I know that, Rob. Well, let me ask you to consider this. Like, how does that impact the way that you live your life? I mean, something for you to consider and talk about at your, your connection group this week. The second thing that Paul knew, which empowered him to live for God was, was this, is that Paul knew that he belonged to God. If you look back to chapter 27, verse 23 again, Paul says, for this very night, there stood before me an angel of the God whom I belong, the God whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid. Because I, I want you to see this, okay? Paul's great trust his great trust and his obedience to God was because he knew that he belonged to God. All right, when we consider this idea of, of belonging to God, the Bible is, is not just informational, but it's actually like really helpful to us because the Bible gives us like different imageries to help us understand this awesome theological truth that we belong to God. I'm gonna just show you a few and it shows us how we belong to God and how we're to understand this. Okay, the first is that we belong to God as a bride belongs to the bridegroom. All right, in the Song of Solomon, and it says, my beloved is mine and I am his. It's this, it's this powerful picture of the intimacy between a bride and a groom that the Bible oftentimes uses to show us our union with God through faith in Jesus. The Apostle Paul speaks of this in Ephesians chapter five when he says, it's a mystery, but it's kind of like this. It's that type of union, that type of relationship that there's nothing gonna tear a bride away from the groom. That's how we relate to God. We belong to God like that. Additionally, the Bible uses the imagery of a, of a father and a child to help us understand how we belong to God. And this is easy for us as, as parents to, to get, right? I mean, if we saw like a, a father who was with their kids that saw something was going down with their kids and just simply like walked away, I mean, we'd have a problem with that, right? Because we recognize the basic human duty to care for our children. That if a father sees his child being hurt or taken advantage of, any decent father comes to the rescue. And guys, I want you to know this is the truth about who God is. This is what God does for us, that we belong to him like that. Even more, we belong to God because he bought us. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians six nineteen. He says, do not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. And then listen to this. You are not of your own, for you were bought with a price. Paul had this tremendous trust in God. He knew that he belonged to God because of what Jesus did and the fact that Jesus is alive and that Jesus brought him to God. And this is so big for us to understand, okay? And I wanna say this like in humility and out of love with the hope that someone would hear this and respond and come to God and actually start to belong to God, but not everybody belongs to God. Now, Now hear me on this. All of us, all of humanity was made by God and all of humanity was made for God. 
But it's only through Jesus that you really belong to God because the Bible talks about the truth of our lives is that we are all riddled with sin. We live in a sinful, broken world that we can see and feel, but we also are sinful in and of ourselves. And because of that sin, the Bible talks about how we're enemies of God. We don't belong to him in that way. We're we're enemies of him. And so we're separated because of our sin. But the Lord Jesus came into human history and he died on a cross. He rose from the dead and he takes our sin through faith and he gives us his righteousness, removing the thing that makes us enemies and helps us to come to God and belong to him in this beautiful union. This is the gospel. This is why we all need Jesus, guys. And when we understand this reality, that we belong to God and that God has us and that God protects us and he's for us and he's looking out for us. You know what happens when when someone really, really gets that, really understands that, really believes that? Fear just dissipates and trust just abounds. This is Paul. I mean, I see this in my kids, right? I mean, my kids think that they're superheroes when they're with me. I mean, they do things that they would never do if I weren't there, that my presence brings like courage and confidence to them to step out into the unknown, to do things that because my dad is there, I can do it. Because the same is true when we remember that we belong to God and that he is with us. And the third thing that Paul knew, which yielded great trust in God was this. Paul knew the power of God. And I love this. Okay, look back to chapter 28, verse three. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them in a fire, a viper came out because of the great heat and fastened on his hand, bit him. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he had escaped from the sea, justice had not allowed him to live. So they believed that there was like some type of karma, like this cosmic judgment that was coming to kill him because they must've thought he was a murderer, right? He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their mind and said he was a God. And was, we've been journeying through Acts. I want you to think about this, guys. Think about our, our study of Acts so far, right? That in these dark moments, in these moments of just extreme need, in these moments where it just seems like all the chips are against somebody, God just kind of flexes. And as he flexes, he shows his power. And this is an opportunity. This is a moment in time for us to see the power of God. God is flexing here as he shows Paul his power by saving him from this viper bite. And Paul keeps it, or God keeps Paul safe. And then I want you to see what happens if you look past that a little bit more. God's power is even shown more fully as he heals many people on Malta. Right, that they see Paul get healed by the power of God and they're thinking, oh my gosh. And they get this picture of like how people would bring hurting and afflicted and disease-ridden people to Jesus to be healed. This is what the Malta people did with Paul. They started bringing out all their sick and Paul had a great healing ministry through the power of God there on Malta. And we've seen this power all the way through Acts. Acts chapter one, the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. Acts chapter two, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and comes as fire and wind, this miraculous thing, thousands of salvations. As we go through the book of Acts, people getting healed, people getting helped, people raising from the dead, miracle after miracle after miracle. We see it all the way through the history of the early church. And if we consider Paul's story, because in moments like this, it's easy to see why Paul trusted God. 
He saw and he understood and he experienced the power of God to help him, to save him in so many ways at so many different times. Now, when we, we talk about the power of God, I think many people think wrongly about this. You know, many people, when we think about the power of God, tend to, to think about God's power being like physical strength or omniscient knowledge or just like a, a abundant wealth of resources at our disposal. But, but I want you to know this, okay? Because the power of God is demonstrated to us and in us and through us to accomplish God's will in every situation through any means that he chooses to bring glory to himself and good to the world around us. And so what this means is that when we're walking with God, when we're walking in his will, when we're walking in obedience, when we're saying yes, when we're belonging to him, when we're trusting him, when we're truly following him, being led by the spirit, God is with us and his power empowers us to accomplish his plans for us. He works through us, he empowers us to do his will. And so when God speaks, when we understand this, when, when God speaks and he says, go, while we might be uncertain of how things are gonna work out and we might start thinking like, man, I just don't know how that's gonna all piece together and there's a ton of fear in us because we don't say no, but our yes is on the table and we say, okay, because it's not about us. It's all about Jesus and his power and his presence and his plan. And we can go boldly because we know that God has the means to accomplish all that he calls us to. That's why we can trust God and say yes. Because the ability to trust God like Paul and even my friend John starts with faith in Jesus, belonging to God. It's sustained by the knowledge of God through the truths and the promises given to us throughout the Bible and is moved into action by the power of God through the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. And all of this caused, all of these things that we're talking about, it caused Paul to trust God. And what it did, we've been watching his life. I mean, what this did, this trust in him, it gave Paul this, this disposition to Jesus to just say yes. And as Paul said yes, I mean, yeah, this is what got him into so much trouble, but it was also the thing that brought him great joy and brought God great glory and brought goodness to the world around him. It allowed the gospel, Paul said yes, and allowed the gospel to go to people all around the world, the people who love or who God loves. And so here's my question. Because I, 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 I literally been thinking about this throughout Acts. Like how would the world be different if we, as the people of God, as the family of Doxa, trusted God like that? I mean, how, how would that be? How would our city be different? How would our families be different? I mean, guys, I, I'm, I'm, it would be amazing. I mean, talk about revival. Talk about restoration. And maybe you should even ask yourself this, is what's keeping you from trusting God like that? Because I want you to know, it's not who God is, but it's who you perceive God to be. You don't have the right truths floating around in your brain. But the big idea of this is that, that God has a plan for your life to bring glory to him and good to the world. But the big question is, will you trust him with your life and allow this plan to unfold? Trust. 
Because guys, if we wanna see the goodness and the power of God played out on the stage of our lives, played out on the stage of, of Madison, we need to have Paul's posture here. Saying anything, anytime, anywhere, God, yes, I trust you. Trust God, Doxa. Knowing that he is with us, knowing that we belong to him, knowing his power within us and and for us. Because do you know God like that? Do Do you trust God like that? For those of you who are maybe Christians and you're sitting there and you're kind of like under your breath like, yeah, I do. Then say yes. Like, what is he asking you to do? Like, say yes. Don't just like run it through the grid of your mind. Oh, this doesn't make sense. Say yes. And for those of you, maybe you're like, man, I I don't know. I don't trust God like that. I would say get into the Bible and allow God to speak to you and show you who he is, but then also Pray the prayer that we see in the Bible and just say, God, help me with my unbelief. And that's a prayer that God loves to meet and loves to answer. And so, Doxa, let's do it. Let's put our yes on the table and run trusting him, knowing that he wants his glory to be displayed in our lives through our city, and he wants the goodness of the gospel to go all around to the people he loves. I'm going to pray. God, thanks for your word. And thanks for this story of, of Paul that we've been watching, knowing that it's not about him and how great he was, but it's about his faith and his trust and how, how great you are. God, would you just give us just a, a little taste of what it would look like to trust you like that? Would you help us in our unbelief? Would you allow us to posture our lives like that so that we would see the goodness of your kingdom sweep through our city, helping. God, this is our our heart's desire. And so help us, God. Help us to be that type of church. Help us to be those types of people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So guys, here's here's what we're going to do. We're going to have the opportunity to, to take communion together. And so... You guys, we posted this and sent out a message that we're going to do this. And so you can get up and go to the kitchen real quick and grab the elements to, to do this, whatever you got. But we're going to take a, an opportunity right now to, to talk about communion and what it means to us. And then we're going to do it together as, as a church. You guys, we're doing this. It's the first time we've ever done this, right? I'm, I'm in this room kind of staring at chairs and a sound guy, right? <laughs> but, but you're in your house. You're with your family. Maybe you're by yourself. But we're all connected, right? And so we're going to do this. And so... One of our elders in training, Nick Wheeler, um, I asked him and his wife, Deanna, and you're going to see his kid, super cute. Hopefully you're going to see Bo. But Nick's just going to walk us through what communion is, why we take it, and he's going to lead us in this. So, Nick, I'm going to turn it over to you. So we're going to do this. So 